Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Theology Thursday. Um, we were just talking about the picture, the promo picture for this week's Theology Thursday episode. You got it or what? I, oh, you know what? It's going to disappear. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on, everybody. I'm not going to be able to pull it up. Well, if you were waiting for the last 14 minutes or so, you saw mm-hmm. the picture sitting there, right? Yeah. So it's you can tell that our photo guy, our Photoshop guy here at the church created that picture and it's not real because you are looking at me in that picture with such like affection as if as if you liked me i dare yeah. say it's like there's like a genuine warmth and affection and it's like dude this guy really likes this guy and so you just know yeah i don't know what point it was <laughs> like what could you have been looking at maybe maybe your can of zevia was, I was right probably here. talking about my zevias <laughs> or something like that here, Kevin, pull up my screen. I got it for everybody, just in case they weren't able to see it before. That's the picture we're talking about. Yeah, I don't look at you like that. <laughs> and you can see that face right there. That's Isaac clearly really made that face. The, but there's at some no- point, it was probably looking at my Zevia. <laughs> but if I did make that face at you, your face would be the proper response. Yeah, like, what? Like, dude, what in the world is going on? Right Maybe there? we were, like, talking about your daughter. Could be. So you're looking towards me, but smiling. Mr. Hong's at the Chinese idea. food, Mr. Zevia, the spark, good sparkle waters. So, so what we've established <laughs> All is of those things, things you, that man. make you smile, sparkling water, Zevia, but not your friend, Sam. Nah, the no. sparkling water got you beat just man. a little bit, just a little bit. Well, and so we were just talking before there's sparkling water with caffeine up in there now. Uh, yeah, we, we, uh, didn't bring any, but next week we'll be looking for a sponsorship. For That's that true. Stuff. From that. Nice little 35 <laughs> milligram of caffeine. Red Bull's 80 cup of coffee 80 to 135 it's just just a little blast but how many do you like for but me you and you, three of them. how many do you need to really get an effect from the caffeine 35 milligrams i don't even no. get out of bed in the morning no, for 35 no. milligrams of caffeine you got to drink three or four of them you got to take three or four but of it's, them down. it's hydrating <laughs> so well welcome everybody <laughs> we could talk about this i mean we true story it's it is late in the evening and very like right before this we were like we need to walk over and get some red bulls yeah, it's been a, it's been a long day. We just drank red. Isaac, you recorded a full video sermon already today. Yeah, today. In addition to this, then we came over here to set up and get ready for this. So it's one thing after another, and we snuck in some late, late Red Bulls. Yeah, we'll see. It'll wreak havoc on my night's sleep probably, but it's worth it for you people. Yes, we got tons of people showing up and saying hi, hello, everybody. So good to see you. Um, so awesome. Wait, can I see what can I see what uh, Dina Bless said there, Kevin? Ed's on another meeting, so it's just me tonight. Although anyone who knows our personalities probably figured out I'm the one who writes all the comments. <laughs> yeah, we started just <laughs> referring to you as Dina a long time ago, Dina. Um, oh, Melissa Seamer's been making SodaStream and putting in caffeinated crystal light. That's a strong move. SodaStream's good. Save you a lot of money in the long run. That's true. That's now, true. Now, do you with your SodaStream try to blast it? Because it says once you hear that weird noise that sounds like something dying, you're supposed to stop. Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I don't you have know, one. So you hit the yes. button. It's it's shooting carbon, it, the, the bubbles into it. And once you hear like a this weird, <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to stop. But it's like, dude, I bet you I can get more bubbles in this thing. And you just keep. Yeah, what's <laughs> the worst that could happen? Yeah, you just keep blasting it. <laughs> I mean, that that seems like a boundary that was meant to be pushed. Yeah, totally. For sure. Like, come on, man. You're going to put some more bubbles in this. So we, we do legitimately need to get into the material tonight because we have way more to cover than we possibly can get to. A lot. Um, and so just know... Our plan tonight was and is to talk about some Old Testament law stuff and eventually to talk about whether or not the Bible is pro-slavery. But we're going to give up front the warning that there's a very good chance we're not going to make it to talking about slavery stuff, tonight. A lot of stuff. Um, but I- anything we don't talk about tonight, we'll just push to next week and keep rolling. Because um, I know you guys who show up for the show would rather have us be comprehensive than move through stuff really quick just to cover it all. So, um, But important, really important stuff tonight. We were talking before we went live even about how the stuff we're talking about tonight is real, like real issues that Christians run into regularly. Um, yeah, I, I had three major book ideas that I wanted to, to write on. Um, and this issue that we're talking about is one of them. Um, I think it's that big of a deal and there's tons of misunderstanding surrounding it and lifelong Christians actually, um, don't know how to navigate the waters that we'll be in. And it's an, it's an example of one of the things where you have atheists and opponents of Christianity doing, misusing this part of the Bible, but also Christians doing the same thing. Yeah. So let's, let's start with a few memes like we like to do just to kind of get 
to wet our whistle yeah, about what, what we're yeah, talking Yeah, what are about. we talking about tonight? Yeah, you want to throw them up there, Kev? All right, if that's too small for you, it's a picture of a woman who looks enraptured and very happy, and she says, I do whatever the Bible tells me to, except for the parts that I choose to ignore because they're unrealistic and inconvenient, but the rest I live by for sure. And then the quote is attributed to every Christian ever. So the basic kind of complaint or I guess accusation is a better word is like Christians say they believe in the Bible and follow the teachings of the Bible, but they sure seem to be picking and choosing which verses they follow. So, you know, we don't lie and we don't curse and we don't do all of these other things, but you seem to eat pork and you seem to... It's particularly pronounced with the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, throw the next one up, Kev. Sorry. Right when you, right when you took it down. Throw, the, throw this guy up. <laughs> Kevin's like almost thought about pushing it, but this he one did, just. If you don't know this, but his hand, he went. Sam and I saw, and he was resisting. It was like the one ring was calling out to yeah. him. Yeah. Resisted. <laughs> Isildur. Yeah. Cast it into the fire. This one just says, God hates shrimp, and then quotes a couple of verses about not eating shrimp and other types of things. Because true or false, does the Bible say, you shall not eat shrimp? It teaches that. I don't yeah. know if it ever says you shall not eat shrimp. Yeah, in that phrase. But yes, but yes the Bible it. does, without question, command, don't eat shrimp. And that's the end of the show, everybody. We so, cleared it up. Don't eat shrimp. Don't eat shrimp. It's bad. Stick to the garlic fish. You want to throw the next one, Kevin? This is one that's near and dear to both of our hearts. It says, do not cut your bodies or put tattoo marks upon yourself. And then it's Leviticus 19.28. That is a verse in the Bible. And then a picture of a dude with a very Christian tattoo. Um, oh, wow. I just noticed. Yes, that that's his hand kind yeah. of seamlessly. It's Did you notice mad. that? I, when can't I, even, I can't tell what it is. So it's like it's the arm of Jesus coming off the cross terminates oh, into the person's hand. Now I see it. Yeah. I didn't notice that I at first. Interesting. I didn't know what it was. Um, so he has a very Christian tattoo, but then there's a verse saying, don't get a tattoo. Um, we'll get into this because you and I both have tattoos. Um, I don't. I'm a Christian. Oh, okay. <laughs> got it. <laughs> How far am I willing to go tonight to prove you do? All right, one more. One more and then we'll... And this is a a picture of a famous painting, Renaissance painting of God, and it says, Great morals to live by. You shall not boil a kid, which means a young goat. Young goat. In its mother's milk. And that is also a Bible verse. So yeah, the, the basic, again, complaint here is, Hey, Christians, you say you live by the Bible. But you eat shrimp, you eat bacon, you get tattoos. Are you just picking and choosing the kind of like ones that you like or the ones that seem relevant to you Mm -hmm. and just skipping the weird ones? What's the deal? And the the vast majority of Christians as a as a by from experience as a pastor sort of know they have it's it's sort of like they have this awareness that like yeah, I don't think all of that old testament stuff still applies, but we believe the Bible is the word of God. Um and so I think it's still good, and, but then in their everyday life, they really do end up going picking and choosing. Totally. And sometimes um, the picking and choosing doesn't lead to any like theological massive blunders. It's almost like intuitively, you know, well, that can't possibly right. still apply. But the problem is there's no theological consistency. And so when the world looks at it, it just looks like Christians are completely inconsistent would be the nice word. Right. The the harsher word would be hypocritical. You're a hypocrite. You pick and choose what Bible verses you want to apply to your life. Yeah. And uh, go ahead, good. You were going to well, say and one. I was just going to say their accusation is fair. Totally. Yeah, and the, and the question is are we cherry picking because of the accusations reason that, you know, we we're just inconsistent hypocrites or and this is a point Dan makes in his book, are we good cherry farmers? who know how to pick the right kind of cherries. Yeah. So that, you know, you're a cherry farmer, you know how to look at a tree and know which ones you'd pick. Yeah. Right he now. flips it. Uh, yeah. So it's like, of course we're cherry picking, man. You want to pick the best cherries. You don't just take all the cherry. And so, so obviously, you know, spoiler alert, we do, we do believe Christians can eat bacon, can eat shrimp, can get tattoos and stuff like that. But there is, there are good reasons why like solid wise Christians cherry pick some verses but it's not, but again, yeah. it's not, that's a clever thing that Dan does in the book. Yeah. But the point is we're not cherry picking. There are verses that do and don't apply to us, but you have to do some work to get there. I mean, what are some of the example things other than what we've talked about that you've seen people? Well, well I mean, other, I mean, I want to focus on one of the big ones is because um, you mentioned tattoos and, and by the way, I believe there's tons of wrong reasons to go get tattoos. For in sure. fact, 
I'd probably say a lot of the time it's just like you're trying to be cool and you think, man, I'm going to look cool with this. And it's like, yeah. dude, just save your that's money. That's not at all. That's not at all why I got I mean, it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, going to need a lot more tattoos than that, man. Um, so, <laughs> so, yes, there's tons of wrong reasons why, for instance, a parent might want to discourage their child from getting tattoos or piercings or so. There's tons of reasons. But there isn't really, I wouldn't say, there isn't theologically consistent biblical reasons for quoting Old Testament passages on right. that. So for when I was a youth pastor, there was tons of times where there was, um, you know, one kid, because <laughs> I, I, had, I had dreadlocks and I had to choose one kid, said their dad said oh, no. like, to like, the reason why he needs to read the Bible is so that he doesn't grow up and become someone like the youth pastor oh. at that church. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yes. Do I know who this dad is? Say it now on the air. No, I'm just kidding. Kevin Curzonade. <laughs> Kevin Curzonade in the house. That's that's awesome. Yeah, and I mean, and and again, like you said, there's this general understanding among what I would consider like the more biblically literate Christians mm-hmm. that goes, well, it's an Old Testament thing, so I don't really have to worry about it. But if you if you pushed them on it, yeah, you go, why not? Yeah, do you have to do then, the Ten Commandments. Yeah, and then if you showed them something maybe that they think should still apply, they go, well, hey. That stuff still still applies. So yeah. again, it comes down to when you think tattoos are wrong, all of a sudden those Old Testament patch, passages are still legally binding. Binding, And when you don't, all of a sudden, ah, that's in the Old Testament. Totally, yeah. Or or again, like the Ten Commandments, it's sort of like, I mean, we talked about this off the air too, but it's like it's in the Ten Commandments. You honor the Sabbath and keep yeah. it as holy. So you better not work on a Sunday. And again, you push someone just a little bit and go, what does Sabbath mean? Sabbath yeah. is Saturday. In yeah. the, in, it's not in the Sunday. Jew. It's not Sunday. Um, and so at the very least... Um, oh, Kim Becerra is, is, uh, is throwing in Dan Kimball's answer to kind of the big question, which is what we're about to get into, um, that Bible verses are written to a specific group in a specific place in a specific time. Um, but again, just to finish this, the, it's not just memes. I mean, I was looking at YouTube and there's one of many videos that it was called, I wrote it down, 25 normal things the Bible forbids, but we still do. Yeah. And that video has 3 million views. And it's all the stuff we're talking about. And people thinking they're so like intellectually superior, like, oh, these dumb Christians. It's like, one of the things you have to understand is that a big chunk, this is how important this issue is. And why I mentioned, like I I wanted to write on it is a big portion of the New Testament is dealing with the issue of what do we do with Torah commands? When I say Torah, I'm talking about the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And it's not that that's separate than the Old Testament, but it's that the Torah, that part yeah. of the Old Testament, this is the canon, law of Israel, is the law of Israel, and that's where a lot of the rules come from. There's 613 give or take rules, law, statutes in that in the Torah. So that's where it all all is. And so when you get to the New Testament, man, a lot of the letters that are being written and circulated are dealing with what do we do with the law? What do we do with Gentiles? What do we do with the dietary laws? What do we do with circumcision? So they're all surrounding this issue. And the sad thing of of it is so much of the New Testament is written off of it, but we're still not consistent or we haven't theologically thought through how do we approach these texts? Yeah, absolutely. And so again, there's there, Dan talks about this in his book, but I mean like that, the TV show, the West wing, which was a massive, massive hit Mm -hmm. Emmy winning show, like, Gigantic, really good show in a lot of ways, but there's this iconic scene. Did you watch shared. it? I did. Not when it was on. Kevin, did you watch it? Yeah, Kevin was an adult. I was uh, like a. I, I never a watched. It. I've seen the <laughs> clip. I'm just wondering because I heard it was super popular. It's popular. It was hugely popular, and it's really good. Do you watch it? Did you watch West Wing, Kev? Uh, very little of it. I didn't watch the whole thing. Yeah, we watched it relatively recently. Like my wife and I watched it on you know a streaming service like mm. a couple of years ago, kind of a thing. And but I had seen this clip where yeah. the president who's this extremely likable, extremely like articulate and forceful argument, yeah. arguer kind of guy. Um, he basically just lets this Christian radio host have it. Mm-hmm. And it's all this kind of stuff. He goes, oh, you follow the Bible. Well, and he's a Catholic himself, but he's, you know, kind of portrayed as a very modern, cool. Uh-huh. And it's kind of this thing. He goes, oh, is it okay for Probably me has to tattoos. sell my, yeah. <laughs> is it okay for me to sell my daughter into slavery? And yeah. you're not supposed to touch the skin of a dead pig. So can we still play football and kind of doing this basic thing? And like we said last week, and we'll get into it now, what that reveals is a misunderstanding of how the Bible works and how Christians understand the Bible. Um, But the double-edged sword of that is because most Christians don't also don't understand how the Bible works. Yeah. We perpetuate the problem. We give them ammo and we don't know how 
to defend against those arguments mm-hmm. for our, ourselves and our kids and et cetera, et cetera. So Kim Becerra brought up the first point that we want to talk about, which is that with everything Bible, we always say you have to put it in its proper context, both literary, how it fits in the Bible, and historical. And Dan talked about this in the book and also in our interview with him, but this is true even of laws in the U.S., that there are laws that sound completely ridiculous, Mm -hmm. but understood in their original context actually make a lot of sense. So um, one of them that he mentioned is that in Kentucky, it's still illegal to uh, carry an ice cream cone in your back pocket. And it's because that was a specific method in Kentucky at a certain point in time that people were stealing horses. They knew if you walked by a horse with an ice cream cone sticking out of your pocket, a horse will follow you home and you (laughs) stole. So that law, completely ridiculous in our context, but everyone back then knew exactly what it meant. And the Bible is like that. So let's kind of, let's get into a little bit of the the historical context. What's going on with Israel when they get this law from Mount Sinai? Yeah, so this is right after the Exodus event. They are delivered by divine intervention by the hand of God through the servant prophet Moses out of slavery, bondage and oppression. And they're sent off. And you got to understand these people have been living in slavery for hundreds of years. So God is essentially creating a nation. He's creating a culture. This is why there's like holidays yeah, and there's, there's festivals because these, these people didn't have all of that. They didn't have the ability to do that. So he's creating a culture, a people. He's giving them holiday holidays, and then he's giving them laws, rules to live by. And a lot of those are pretty straightforward. You get it like kind of like what we would consider moral commands. Yeah. And then a lot of them to us sound weird. Yeah. And I mean, what you just said is hugely important. And a lot of Christians aren't aware of this. Israel, we know they're rescued from slavery, but they did not exist as a nation in any other way ever. So it's, it's a family that goes into Egypt, not as slaves, just a family. It's Abraham's great, great, great grandkids. They all, you know, 50, 70 something of them yep. go into Egypt, 400 years pass and they grow into a nation as slaves. So it's not like there's a nation called Israel and they get captured by Egypt and turned into slaves for a little while. 400 years mm-hmm. of that this is the only life you know. And not only are you a slave, you're a slave in a polytheistic nation and most of you and your countrymen are just doing the Egyptian religion. You're, mm-hmm. Ezekiel talks about how most of them were not faithful during this time. So yeah. huge percentage of them, we don't know exactly what. They're worshiping Egyptian gods, living in a polytheistic world. And so I think that's really important because the vastness of the undertaking mm-hmm. of taking a nation that has been slaves in Egypt for 400 years and yeah. turning them into a cohesive nation. Yeah, because some of you were raised Christian. Right. And you fell away and God saved you out of your paganism and you're still still falling into the same stuff. And it's yeah. like you had the whole up. <laughs> you have 2000 years of Judeo-Christian tradition forming you and a Christian upbringing and you're still wrestling with all of this stuff, yeah, which is the story of us all. I mean, like I said it sarcastically, but it's like all of us are like that. But imagine you don't have 2,000 years of, of Christian tradition. You're not being raised in that environment. You don't even have the cultural pillars that serve as the kind of cohesive glue to maintain that kind of religious center of gravity. And so God has to establish all of that. Yeah, and the religious center of gravity is incredibly important. If you look at what's happening when the law is given in the kind of canonical context, meaning like, the overall story of scripture and what God is doing. Um, He is going to create the nation through whom the Messiah is going to come. Mm -hmm. This is the nation that's meant to demonstrate to every other nation around them that this is what God is like. This is what living under God's rule looks like. And so this is is getting into the nitty gritty of it. A huge percentage of the laws, especially some of the ones that seem strange to us, are designed to make Israel distinct among the other ancient yeah. Near Eastern nations that and, were their neighbors. And, and one of the, to the point of it being written for the law, it, the law is a covenant. It's, a, it's an agreement between yeah. two parties. So it's not as if the Torah, God speaks and says, all humanity at all places must follow this Jewish right. dietary law. What he does is he goes into a covenant with specific people and he gives them all of this stuff we're, we're talking about. And what's interesting, most people don't realize this, is, but when you get to Deuteronomy towards the end of the law, he lists what will happen if you obey the law and if you disobey the law. And there's a reward for obedience to the law and there's a punishment for disobedience. And the, both of them, the reward and the punishment, 
deal with Israel living in the land of right. Israel. It deals with ethnic Israel living in the geographic space of the promised land, Israel. So the reward is, you can l- l- look it up at the end of Deuteronomy. It's like, the land will be plentiful. Your grapes will be full. You're going to have this. And it's, yeah, you're going to have peace. You're not going to be destroyed it's, it's by surrounding nations. It's an earthly reward. In the promised land will be the promised land. It'll be the land of milk and honey for you. And, and it's not just that God will, he promises those things, but actually if you live by the wise rule of God's standard, then you will do well in the right. land. And then on the opposite end, if you disobey the law, then you're going to be taken out of the, you're going to get the promised land removed from you or to put it better, you'll be removed from the promised land. And that's exactly in the, in the biblical narrative what occurs. Yeah. And I mean, it's also worth noting, Israel is asked, you want to make a covenant with me, right? They go, yes. Here's the yes. deal. Here's the terms. You okay we with that? We will do all of it. We'll do it all. You sure? Yes. Okay. So it's not, and, and this is, you know, we're, I know this is kind of like a fire hose of Old Testament theology, but it's really, really important. Remember, Israel has been rescued from slavery. So God yeah. doesn't show up and say, here is 613 hard to follow laws. And if you promise to do them, I'll save you. That's right. God shows up, saves them because he made a promise to Abraham, yeah. their ancestor. So the law is there to guide people in the land. It is not necessarily salvific in the same sense that we would say it in the right. New Testament. If it's you're not to ask, how to get to heaven. If you would ask Moses, why, what made you God's chosen people? They wouldn't say, oh, because I've obeyed the law. Right. He would say, God chose us. And in fact, in the law, it talks about, you're the least yeah. among, you're the least among he the He straight nation. up says, it's not because you're better than anybody else. In fact, you're the least. Israel is Israel because of grace. Yes. And then they get the covenant of the law, which is to guide them in the land. Yeah. So it's, you are my people. I chose you. Mm-hmm. And because you're my people, here's how you live. Mm-hmm. Not here's how to live to become my people. And that's really important theology because it affects the way we see grace in the New Testament. If yep. we misunderstand this, because it's exactly the same for you. If you're a believer that you, you were saved by grace and then you are given the expectations of what a person who is a Christian lives like. Not yeah. the, and that cart and horse is very important. It's not do all this stuff so that I'll give you grace. It's yeah. I gave you grace. I chose you. You're saved. And now here's how I expect you to yeah, live. We get, we get often a, a bad view that says like the Isra- the average Israel, Israelite in the time of King David realizes they can't obey any of God's law and they're just trying to earn it, earn God's acceptance and they know they never can, so they're looking forward to Jesus. But then right. when you read the Psalms, you read them saying, oh, Lord, it is my joy to delight in your law all the days of my life type of thing. And so it's a different. When we often look at the law, we see it as a bad thing. Um, and there's some New Testament verses that can be conf- can, can kind of be, kind of be confusing that yeah. make people think that. But set in its proper context, the law is a good thing given to Israel as in, in a covenant relationship. Right. And that's, again, all of that stuff... If this is new to you, this might be worth listening through this again and, and thinking on it because it's hugely, hugely significant and it changes the way you see a lot of this stuff. And some of the crucial things we just covered are um, it's not universal law given to all people for all time. It is a specific law given to Israel so that they can live in the land. Yeah. Um, Where it gets tricky and we're going to get into this yeah. is you, you read some stuff and go, ah, man, I don't think that applies. And then you read something like don't kill, don't murder. And you go, well, that's certainly... I feel like I'm supposed to do yeah. that one. So that's where it gets tricky. Yeah. So a lot of the weird ones, um, especially things like dietary laws, have to do with the fact that God wants Israel to be distinct from the surrounding Canaanite neighbors. So you're going to... Li- you just came out of a polytheistic world. You're going to move into a land surrounded by polytheistic Canaanite people, and their ways of worship are going to be very appealing to you. So you... All of the... A, not all. A huge percentage of the laws, especially ones that look strange to us, are about forbidding them from doing the kinds of things their neighbors do so they'll stay distinct. So for example, like one of the ones that gets quoted in memes all the time is, oh, you follow the Bible, huh? Well, nice polyester blend you're wearing today because you're not supposed to blend two types of fabric. Um, And similarly, you're not supposed to sow two types of seed next to each other in the same field. But there's evidence that in the ancient Near East and the Canaanite religion, you would kind of sow two different types of seeds next to each other um, as a kind of fertility rite. So it's, it was a, it's not gardening advice for Israel. It's don't do your crops the way that your pagan neighbors do because they're invoking pagan practices and religious. The law 
was forbidding some of the stuff that the obsessive gardener does when he tries to make That's hybrid right. peppers. When you crossbreed a reaper, I yeah. don't know enough about peppers, and, and a scorpion, said, yeah, and a flimflam. Yeah, it's not, it's not <laughs> supposed to be done, man. It's not. That's against the Bible. Oh, Sean Rafferty from Arizona. What up, Sean? How's it so, going, man? So, yeah, it's, it's this idea that Israel's supposed to be distinct. And you see the power of this later when you get to the Old Testament, I mean, to the New Testament. Um, for instance, Peter and a man named Cornelius, yeah. they're supposed to eat like eat together. And like God has to show up in a dream and tell Peter, it's okay. It's okay to eat with a Gentile. The power of that and, and the power of the command was shown there was that you, if you don't get to eat with someone, you don't get to break bread with someone, that eliminates them from fellowship. Right. Um, it's much different culture than to invite someone into your home and eat with them is to fellowship, to befriend them. And so what God was essentially doing is as you take this people out of pagan Egypt, he's setting up rules that will ultimately protect them. Right. So it's not that in and of itself, eternally, divine decree says this is always bad, but this is a, a, a law set in place to protect them. Paul argues something like this, and, and we, may, we may have time to get into it later, but long story short, he argues that it's functioning almost like a fence. Yeah. And the analogy that I use is that it's like a, a, a in the front yard, there's a fence that parents put up because their kids... Uh, won't stay on the grass. They'll go run in the street type yeah. of thing. So it's not necessary. It's there to protect them. And then what Paul would later argue is that that's supposed to bring you to Christ. Yeah. And, and along the lines of the analogy, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but when your kid is 16, he doesn't need the fence to keep him out of the street anymore. Right? So you at a certain point outgrow the need for that that's particular right. thing, um, which yeah, we'll get we'll to get in a second. In time. So talking about tattoos, because this is along the same lines. Um, the verse says, I should actually pull it up. You can go to me here if you want to, Kev, Leviticus 19.28. It says, you shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. So like many of the other laws, because this also applies to like, you know, don't trim the hair on the edges of your yeah. head and all these things that I'm doing today. <laughs> um, it's not about tattoos as kind of like an ornamental artistic expression on your body, which is basically what they are today. It's like, well, yeah, you could see it in the context. Yeah. The context directly says like, don't do this. Don't make cuts on your body for the dead. For the dead. And again, we see this in the passage with Elijah and the prophets of, we get, you could say Baal or Baal. It depends. Like if you want to sound snobby, <laughs> You, like you could say Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Now, did not Amon worship Baal? Yeah. yeah. Did you, was that actually on air when you said that? It was. Yeah. It was like you said, did Baal and Amon? It's like, hey, okay, when Elijah's talking about the prophets, I've of already Baal, said Canaanites like five times, by the yeah. way, and that should be Kanaanites. Yeah. If I was going to be consistent with my, but snob. if you want to be like biblical, it's not Baal. Um, even though that's how I say it. Um, <laughs> what do the what do the, what do the prophets of Baal do? They cut themselves in religious kind of it's a way to scream out and try to get this yeah. God to show up. And so God is saying, you don't do that stuff. Yeah. Um, again, as I preface, you may have good reasons for saying it is not wise for you to get a tattoo. And there's plenty of um, reasons why maybe a parent might be telling that's the parent's job. I'm not telling you, but the command in the Bible to not do that is not the same thing yeah. with modern tattoos. Leviticus 19.28 is not commanding people to not get tattoos for the reasons we do yeah. now. And you know what's funny is um, when I was in youth group, even in that there was picking and choosing because like they tell their son, like, well, you can't get a tattoo. And then it'd be like- Unless it's a Christian tattoo. Well, well no, it'd be <laughs> like, um, and then he'd be like, oh, I want to get an eyebrow ring. Well, you can't get an eyebrow ring. But then his sister would have her ears pierced. Yeah. And so it was like, there was picking and choosing and then another level of picking and choosing. And again, what happened is the kid just saw the inconsistency. Yeah. And so- you decide what you want as a parent, but be theologically and, and pragmatically consistent. Totally. And that's like, you know, props to my parents who never wanted any, you know, most of me and my brothers and sisters have tattoos. They don't like them, didn't want us to get them, but never tried to say that it was immoral or that the they Bible didn't teach like it. They still don't like them. My mom will be like, that, that would make a great picture on your wall. And then you could take it down when you're done with it. She's right. She's probably right. Yep. Let's be honest. It also would have cost a lot less. Yeah. Um, that's, that's enough reason not to do it right there. Yeah. Now, and this is, yep. you know, one that gets quoted a lot, and this can be the last one and then we'll move on, but um, is the this boiling a young goat in its mother's milk. Yeah. Because it's not, th it's mentioned multiple times, like in, in different sections. It'll be like, we're talking about all this like, other don't stuff. Don't you forget, man. Don't boil a goat in its mother's milk. Yeah. Now, it, what's interesting about this one is because 
it, it's one that you're going to see a lot in memes because people will be like, oh, really? The Bible says you can't do this. Well, it also says you can't boil a goat in its mom's milk. So mm-hmm. like bizarre Bronze Age logic happening yeah. here. Although I love that because the meme I looked at said Bronze Age and I'm like, bro, Bible's not a Bronze Age book. So at least figure out what... The <laughs> what oh, there's so much. It's, just it's an Iron Age so book bad. at the least. But um, so so there's some interesting theories around this that we could get into, but the basic short version is this is almost certainly also a Canaanite worship practice. Um, And there's a possibility that, um, and this isn't, this isn't one or the other. It could be both. And that there's this all throughout the old Testament law, there is a respect given and a kind of like seriousness surrounding blood, milk, kind of like life, life and death, bodily fluid kind of stuff. So you have it with blood, you have it with sexual fluids, you have it with all kinds of different stuff. And so there's, there's a sense in which, and this is probably honestly what the pagan Canaanite ritual was about is that you're taking this thing that is God's gift for the life of the young goat and instead using it to kill the young goat. Um, that I think when it's, it sounds weird to put it this way, but when you read the old Testament a lot, there's a logic to why God hates this. Yeah. Um, and so I think, I think it's probably both and that there's this kind of, there's a pagan ritual that you do this. So you guys don't do this, but also understand you are subverting and almost making a mockery of a good gift of God when you do this. Um, and also the goat is a sacred animal. It's, this is the goat. This is the animal for the day of atonement ritual, which is a massively important ritual in Israel's life and religious practice. Um, yeah, there's a, I mean, in the creation story, Trees, animals, and humans are all supposed to be fruitful. They're supposed yeah. to, their life gives birth to new life. And this is a good thing. And this is a good thing. And, and what the, the, the boiling the goat in the mother's milk, it's, it's like, the, it's like an evil inversion of that. Yeah. There's an order to things. The parents produce an offspring and they provide and nurture that. And then you're taking the very real nourishment, but that functions symbolically in that and kind of using that in a destructive sense. So yeah, it's like you said, there's probably multiple reasons why God is like, don't do that. Yeah. And again, there's a broad statement we can make before we move on to talking about how Christians relate to the law, which is, and Dan does a great job of talking about this in in the book. Just because a law sounds weird to you doesn't mean it sounded weird to the people it was originally written to. Yeah. So we talked last week about the fact that the Bible is written for you, but not to you. And so you have to have that extra layer of what did the original author and reader think of this? And these laws, even ones like that one, there's no explanation given in the text because the original reader understood why we do this, why we don't do yeah. this. And so um, th- there's a comfort in that to me of just going, okay, I have to do the cross-cultural work of understanding this, mm-hmm. but knowing that the original reader got it. The original reader understood the significance of this. Yeah, that's why, like I said in the Psalms, they're talking about delighting in the law of God. They're not yeah. saying, oh, Lord, when will oh, you yeah. help me figure out the secret riddle of Leviticus, blah, blah, blah. No, there's a part where Moses in Deuteronomy says, the nations are going to see your law and yeah. be jealous of Israel. Yep. Because, wow, what an incredible nation that has such a wise God that he would be this clear with them. Mm-hmm. So the the Jews, the faithful Jews, always believed the law was a gift and a privilege to them that wow, what a gift that our God has been so clear to yeah. us about what he wants. Um, so it, was ne- it wasn't, they're not going like, oh, this law, I hate it. They're mm-hmm. like, man, if we did the law, the pagan nations would be jealous of us yeah. for how cool our law is. I don't know if they would say how cool our They'd law be is. Mad. This law is dope, this man. This law is dope, man. This is cool, man. <laughs> um, okay, so we could keep talking about this all night, but I want to make sure we get, because this, this next point is very theologically complicated, but it's really, really important. Yep. Um, and it's the big kind of theological question surrounding the Old Testament law. And it's this, do these laws apply to Christians? Okay. Because that's what we've been kind yep. of, it's what we've been sort of circling around the whole time. Yeah. Like you, but it's important that you understand all the parts. Yeah. So again, to review, the law is 613 laws, rules, and statutes. It's all the laws contained in Torah. So when you read in the New Testament, they talk about the law. They're talking about Torah. Yeah. The laws contained in the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay. That law is made in covenant with ethnic Israel, and it's established as they leave Egypt after the Exodus event, going to the promised land. And this is how they ought to live in the land. And Deuteronomy says, if you obey these laws, there will be blessing in the land. And if you disobey, there will be curses in the land. Namely, you're going to be removed. Yeah, and you're going to lose your privileges. And that, on the biblical narrative, happens in 586 BC with the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And exiles are taken out of the promised land and brought into exile in Babylon. 
So then the issue is when an average person looks upon these texts, they clearly go, well, like no one's wrestling with boiling the goat. Yeah. And the mother's I saw milk. my pastor but eat bacon wrapped shrimp last week. Yeah. <laughs> no, you wish I'd seen you do that. Yeah, I, I haven't, haven't actually. <laughs> um, but then it's like, well, Sam, there's thou shalt not murder. There's thou shalt not steal. So are you or, saying I can murder now? Are the Ten Commandments not in there? And what about in other places in the law where there's these clear moral laws? Okay, so we have that problem. This is the same problem that the New Testament Christians encounters. Like, what do we do with this? Yeah, remember, by the way, that all of the first Christians are Jewish. So they're coming from this background. Most of this is the way they live, and they like it, and they think it's good. But now all of a sudden we've got Greeks and we've got Romans and we've got Ethiopians and yeah. all these other people becoming Christians. And so the Jewish first Christians are going, what do we do with these guys? Because they don't want to and haven't been living this way. Yeah, and so, rightfully so. They're going like, God's, God's law for, forbids this and I want to be faithful to it. Right. But now God is, is saying things like there's neither Jew nor Gentile. He's giving visions to Peter saying, go. Go, go sit, go eat with the Gentile. Go eat with the Gentile. Go have some food with Cornelius. So all this stuff taking place. Okay. So there's a number of ways Christians deal with what to do with these laws. One is what we've just talked about, cherry pick. Yeah. And this is the problem. Really, like the majority of us haven't thought through it theologically, and so we just cherry pick. And like I said, intuitively, you kind of go, that mother's goat milk thing, that's weird. Yeah. I, certain- I know we can eat, again, I, I know I keep saying this yeah. one, but it's a big one. I know, I know we can eat bacon. Yeah. I have seen my pastor's got a tattoo. Mm-hmm. And, but I know I'm supposed to do the 10 commandments because yeah. that's really important. And it's, it's like, dude, yep. the 10 commandments and the boiling a goat in its mother's milk are like this close really to each close. other. Really close. So a couple ways that people look at it. One is very popular, sort of, it's not as popular now, but I would say in the eighties and nineties, I heard it a lot, a lot more. And I, I wasn't, I was super young in the eighties, but I, I've read stuff and listened to stuff. Um, I was going to make a Kevin joke, but it's not necessary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Everything okay over there, buddy? I don't know if y'all could hear that, but. Yeah. Um, he, he fell down. It's He lost his cane that holds him up now <laughs> stuff like that. I hit my emergency button. I'm okay. <laughs> one, of the, one, of the, one of the tennis balls on his walker yeah. rolled across the room and he's trying to. Trying to so down. it's called like the pr- principalization. Uh, and it's where you make principles out of everything. So we know that. Um, no one's struggling with boiling a baby goat in the mother's milk anymore. But we learn from this, the wise principle that, um, it's not good to be mean to baby animals. Right. Um, no, and, a, a nuanced version would be like, you should be a good steward of God's creation yeah. and care for the animals in your, in your care. And, and the reason why sometimes people do that is because a couple times in the new Testament, Paul will look back and quote an old Testament passage and take a principle out of it. Yeah. Which Fair enough. There is some stuff in some laws in the Old Testament where even if the the specifics of it aren't still applicable, there is some type of principle that's in there. Why? Because when God gives his wise commands, there might be principles yeah, in an there. An underlying that, pattern that it's yeah, a part exactly. of. Exactly. But you can't do that for everything. And more importantly, when we look at um, Jews in the time of Jesus, the intertestamental period, and even in the Old Testament, they're not going and looking at those laws as principles. Right. Those are divine decrees that you are supposed They're to They're actually doing the exact opposite yeah. because it's, it's the laws are sort of paradigmatic. They're establishing mm-hmm. a general paradigm. They're not even comprehensive. They weren't even treated as comprehensive. So the Jews were not getting more general. And no, they're make, getting more specific. They were going, well, if it means this, if we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, for example, well, how many steps can I what walk? What constitutes work? That's yeah. right. So... There might be some wisdom in finding some principles, but certainly that's not the operating system of how one ought to look at the law. The other one, which is probably the most common and maybe right, maybe right. I, I don't hold to this for a couple of reasons, but there's wisdom in it. And this is probably if you grew up in church, this is what you were probably taught. And a lot of great thinkers throughout Christian history, I believe it. And it, you didn't learn it as the tripartite system, but formally it's the tripartite. Right tripartite view of the law. And what that does is it splits the law up into three categories, the moral, civil, and ceremonial. And it looks at the law, all 613 commands, and it says some of these are ceremonial. Uh, Some of these... Meaning they have to do with festivals and 
what you do in the temple and how the yeah. Levites are supposed to. And these are the things about like the kind of clothes that the priests have to wear and like exactly how you yeah. do all the rituals. And this is what you, you know, you wash the liver when you yeah, take it so out of the civil stuff for the nation, ceremonial stuff. And then there's the third category, which would be moral. So you have moral civil ceremony and the moral would be thou shalt not kill. And they, that you would argue all the moral stuff of the 613 laws still apply. And we know this because when you get to the new Testament, they're still telling yeah. you to obey and listen to that stuff. You keep hearing them pop up. So that's one system and, and way of dealing with it is dividing the law up into moral, civil, and ceremonial. And it's called the tripart view of the law. Now, the one issue with that, if I was going to play devil's advocate, is that's just not really explicitly taught. You have to infer that from the things that yeah. get reemphasized in the New Testament. Yeah, the reason why I don't, even though I think there's some wisdom in it, I don't, I don't hold to it, is because... When you read the law, it's never divided up in those categories. You don't read this section and then go on, oh, here's the moral laws. Right. In fact, it's sometimes, all mixed together. sometimes they'll be right next to each other. And if you were to ask a Jewish person in Jesus' day, which commands are the moral commands, they would say all, all of, them. of them. What do you mean? They, they'd of, be like, God what are you commanded talking? all of them. That's why they're moral. They all carry moral weight. And, and you're getting to exactly what Jacob's question was, which is who determines which law is which category. And, yeah. and, it, and that's exactly what the point you're making is there's not a really clean way to break it down. Yeah. And it ends up being somewhat uh, arbitrary is too strong of a word, but it's almost yeah. like you have to create categories and then you're the one sorting them out. But there, when you read through those, the Torah, they're all mixed up. Yeah. And so, you know, God in his infinite wisdom might know some, but it's, it's not revealed in the text. And that's not how people who were the, who the people who were part of the very covenant, right. that's not how they viewed it. But again, um, I think it's at least a good starting ground. So if someone confronts you with, well, you Christians don't obey this. I mean, you could easily say, no, Christians for 2000, 2000 years known that some of these laws are moral. Some of them are civil. Some of them are ceremonial. And the early church clearly continue to practice the moral components. Right. So all your nonsense about Christians being hypocritical for the shrimp issue. Yeah. Just At don't the very them. least, the tripartite thing has a de facto application because of how what the New Testament teaches. Yeah. So you go, we, but, and, and we'll get into how, yeah. that, how we might see that. So those, that's two options. One is you just kind of cherry pick. Mm-hmm. The other is this tripartite, which more kind of formalizes how you divide them up. And what, how would you define what the third one is? So the third one we'll call the fulfillment view. Um, it's, it's known by a lot of different names. One of the technical ones is the modified Lutheran position is one of the ways that's, that it's been argued. Um, but I like to I drove a modified Lutheran in high school as my first car. It's the first car. Um, that's a dad joke. It, I yeah, apologize. Yeah, but the thing is, he'd been telling dad jokes for 15 years. One time, Isaac asked me if my wife was pregnant because my I, I said such a, a lame dad joke before I had kids. Yeah, it was before you had kids. Isaac was, I made a dad joke, and Isaac, first of all, didn't laugh, which isn't remotely surprising. But then, <laughs> but then subsequent to that, you were like, hey, is Christina pregnant? And I was yeah. like, what? No, why? He was like, because that was a full-on dad joke. Like, I feel like you had yeah. to become a dad. Yeah. So anyway, go on with your, the modified Lutheran. So think of it as a fulfillment view. It says... The law was given to Israel for a purpose. And that purpose was so that all the nations would see, as you said earlier, Israel, and that they would turn to worship Israel's God. And in, in, in the Old Testament, it talks about all the nations going to Israel and worshiping the one true God. And this, of course, is established um, in connection with the first covenant given to Abraham. So a covenant is given to Abraham that he's going to bless all the nations, all the families of the earth. So in Genesis, you should forever be looking for ethnic Israel to forever bless all the nations. Then you get this Mosaic covenant, the Torah, in which there's these these rules and laws, and Israel's supposed to flourish in the land. And remember, Israel is the offspring of Abraham. Is the offspring of Abraham. And it's in and through Abraham's seed, these people that God has made the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant with, that all the nations are going to be blessed. Okay. So what happens though, is that never occurs. And what we hinted at this earlier, and this is where you have to understand the narrative of scripture, Jerusalem and Israel, as we know it, is it's destroyed. And Israel is taken off into exile. It looks like the plan is not going to happen. No, like it's, Abraham's it's, offspring failed to do the thing God told them to do, and they're gone. And now what the contract said, 
in the Mosaic Covenant, what happens when you disobey the law has occurred. Now, the twist to it, though, is that God brings them back into the promised land, and then all of a sudden there is a faithful Israelite who is finally going to do what Israel was always called to do. So a faithful Jewish man, namely Jesus, is going to do the law perfectly, and he is going to fulfill it, and in fulfilling the law, he is going to bring all of those promises that are attached to the Abrahamic and Mosaic Covenant to completion. And the Davidic Covenant, which we didn't, the even Davidic touch covenant, on. we didn't even touch on. And so what happens is, is when you get to the Gospels, and this is a very popular verse, you hear Jesus saying, I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill yeah, the law. Let's now, look, Sam, look at, let's look at the look verse at this. and look at the Greek. This is, this is Matthew 5, 17. This is really important because I would argue that for people who are actually getting deep on this, and even for people who are just casually reading the Sermon on the Mount, this is misunderstood very, very yeah. frequently. Kevin, can you pull up the Bible here um, on my screen? So this is Matthew 5, 17. And what people typically do when they see this, oh, it looks like our video might be paused. Everybody, somebody tell us in the chat if you're, we're still showing up. We got some technical difficulties. You clicked on Ecamm, Kevin? Maybe forget the Bible verse and just read it out loud and walk through it. Don't try to do anything tricky. Yeah, no worries. Okay. We're, we're back now. Yeah, okay, just read it. So it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, which means these entire sections of Scripture. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, here's the thing. Most people hear that and intuitively think just the first half. So he, he straight up said he, he didn't come to abolish the law. Yeah. And so what you do is you read that and you think that the second half of it's going to be the opposite. So... I don't think I've come to abolish the law. I didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. But here's the thing. Abolish and fulfill, even in English, are not opposites. Mm -hmm. They're two different ways for something to be ended. And that's, mm -hmm. that's the key. That's the crucial part of the argument. And that's even clearer in Greek. In the, and I could show you this if we get my computer up, but no big deal. He says, I did not come to kataluci, the law, but to pleurosi, the law. Yeah. And so one, kataluci abolish, it's a stronger word than abolish in English. It's like smash, destroy, mm -hmm. ruin. So he's saying, I didn't come to, to tear the law to pieces. Mm -hmm. I came to play rosi it. And that's, again, fulfill is a great word, but it, a synonym would be complete. It's yeah. Like bring it to its point of completion. Yeah. The reason why I like the word fulfill is, is because most people's, if you're a Christian, your brain is going to understand this because you have the categories for it. So in the Old Testament, there are prophecies concerning Jesus. When Jesus comes, he fulfills those prophecies. Right. Now, when he fulfills a prophecy, it doesn't do away with the prophecy. It doesn't mean the prophecy was bad. It doesn't mean the prophecy is, is like we should be ashamed of it because it's this old stuff. Jesus fulfills. He completes. He brings it to its completion. It's a good thing. The yeah. prophecy is a good thing. Now it has been fulfilled. You are no longer waiting for this prophecy to be fulfilled. Yeah, it's, it it's, has. It's done. It's but done. But in a good way. The metaphors I've used before, it's like Jesus saying, I didn't come to throw away the meal. I came to eat the meal. Yeah. So it's like you did the thing that it was for. Or or I didn't come to, to cancel the so basketball game. So in that case, game. the law had it. a specific function and task for Israel. And Jesus, who is the faithful, true Israelite, comes and completes the task and purpose of the law in namely obeying it completely. Yeah. So he fulfills it, which then, at, then you go, well, wh what is, does that mean? That's, that's like, we don't have to pay attention to it. No, all the old Testament prophecies, you should study you them. Still pay you should learn them. You should look for wisdom. You should study them because they're a part of the biblical story pointing you to biblical right. truth. But they have done what they were meant to do. Yeah. Now here, and here's the crazy thing. Most people, and this, this is, I mean, this is like across the board with Christianity. Most people think the New Testament takes all the hard ethical standards of the Old Testament and makes them easier. Right. So, man, there's 613 laws in the Old Testament. Thank God there's grace now, and we don't have all these, these burdensome laws. No, no, no. What Jesus does is, and this is the image you should have, is picture your car on a freezing cold day and you're looking out remember you turn your car on you go oh man i'm late for work and i can't even see through my windshield because it's frozen over and then you got to get outside and you're already freezing and then you got to get the hose and and yeah but the idea is that you could as 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 the window becomes more clear it's foggy and you can see 
you can see out, out the window. But as it becomes crystal clear, you can see better. When you look at God's moral commands in the Old Testament, you are looking at God's ethical standards through a foggy window. But when Jesus comes, he actually takes off the ice and removes the fogginess, and now you can see crystal clear. Let me illustrate what I mean by this, because that could be shocking. Like, So the Old Testament is foggy with God's ethical commands? Yes, because in the Old Testament, it said, do not commit adultery. You were, that's, is that true and right? Yes, that's God's ethical standard. Don't commit adultery. What Jesus comes in and he clears up some more fog and he goes, oh, it's not just don't commit adultery. It's don't even look at a woman with lust in your heart. Yeah. It's Old Testament, thou shalt not murder. Yeah. Jesus comes. Most of us are pretty good at following that, right? Not that yes, hard for most Jesus people. Jesus goes, oh, you don't go around murdering people. Well, you have hate in your heart against your brother. Yeah, so he's revealing the ultimate like the thing of which the law was a shadow. The thing which the law was pointing to. Jesus is revealing the ethical components of it with crystal clear clarity. Yeah. So so he's fulfilling it. He's fulfilling the covenant that was established with Israel, but then simultaneously saying, man, this is what God's perfect ethical standard looks like. And it's all centered around this idea and concept of love. Yeah. Now, the way to test this is you need to look in the rest of the New Testament to see if the New Testament authors look back to the law, those 613 commands, and view it in the same way that I just articulated. Right. And I would say they do that time and time yeah. again. Yeah, I mean, we can look at a couple examples. Um, I mean, Galatians 5.13 is the big one. Where Paul says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. And here's the key, for the whole law. And you got to get used to thinking most of the time when Paul says law, he doesn't mean God's universal moral law. Some Very rarely he means Very that. rarely. Usually he means Torah, Israel's law. Yes. And he says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so he's saying, you, when you genuinely actually love your neighbor, are same same word fulfilling yeah, the law. Fulfill. It's the key word. Every all. So this is why the tripartite system isn't. It's not like horrible. Why you throw it out? It's, yeah. It's just like you can't find it, but you don't need to to know exactly what it is because what the New Testament authors do is they give you greater clarity. They say in doing the love thing, whatever moral components were in that law, you are fulfilling those when you do this thing, this love thing. Yeah. And just, so for those of you who are super systematic here, what we're saying is you as a modern Christian are not under the Sinai covenant. That was a law that no. was for Israel only for a specified amount of time. And it has been fulfilled by Christ. So that's done. You don't have to follow that. So no, we're not obligated to follow the law. And this is where it sounds controversial on, on the surface, what I'm, but I'll clarify. So you don't have to follow the 10 commandments in Exodus 20. Like you, yeah. you're not, you're not under the Sinai version of those, but what you do is you follow the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the new Testament, yeah. which are going to go on to reaffirm and reiterate the, the content of the 10 commandments. Whatever and ethical commands they were there, man, it gets a lot stricter. So everything the old Testament was pointing to is magnified by the ethical teachings of Jesus. Right. So that's why, I mean, think about this. Jesus goes, You've heard it said, but I tell you this. And he doesn't like throw out. See, people think he has a bad view of the Old Testament. Jesus loved the Old Testament. That's yeah. his Bible. He's not throwing it out. He's magnifying some of the components in it. He's saying, here's what's behind this. And this is what I'm asking my people to do. Exactly. Um, and so when we do Christian love right, you are fulfilling whatever ethical dimensions there were in the Sinai Covenant. But this, it's a much higher standard. Yeah, I could, I could, I could hate someone and not murder them. Yeah, but what about I loving your enemies? Yeah, I do, I'm doing it right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Kevin are both like, which one? Eh, trick, trick question. Both. So, and then in Romans, uh, and I think you got this. Yeah, you're talking about the the Christ being the end of the law. Yeah, this is this is another important passage, and again, the, these verses still kind of correspond to that tripartite view, but I think there's a better way of understanding it at, through the lens of fulfillment. Yeah. And I think it's a more... It's Romans 10.4, Kev. I think it's a more Christologically centered way of viewing it. Yeah. And so it says, Christ is the end, end of, of the, the law, law for all 
who believe. Yeah, end of the law for righteousness to for everyone righteousness who believes. To who believes. Okay, so the word end, E-N-D there, is the Greek word telos. Incredibly powerful word. And telos, um, it, it has to do with purpose. The, if you talk about the telos of something, you are talking about what is the end goal, the purpose for that? Why, why does it exist? Uh, it, it, this could be confusing because the way modern words find their roots doesn't mean it's the equivalent, but we get the word tel- telescope from yeah. it. And you're looking to the end, to the end of something. So yeah, but think the word like maturity or, or maturation, like, like you wait for an apple to grow and mature and become sweet. The telos of an acorn is a tree. Is the tree. The telos of an apple is to be eaten, right? So... Yes. So you're, you're kind of looking to the, what is the ultimate purpose that something is headed so towards? So Christ is the telos. He's the, and this is where the English word end is good, E-N-D is good, but it, it kind of makes it seem negative. Yeah. Like, thank God Christ came and he ended all those bad, and this is a theme I want you to get. If you could mix the word purpose and end together, yes. that's telos. It's the end goal. It's what yeah. it's always been reaching for. And so oftentimes you can inherit a bad view of the Old Testament and the Torah because, yeah, thank God Christ came and ended that. And it's like, that was the plan all along. Yeah. And without it, this wouldn't have this would not have happened. That's why God did it. God doesn't make mm-hmm. mistakes. So the law did what God wanted the law to do. Thank God he did it. Yes. So Christ is the end, the telos of the law for all of those who And believe. I love that word telos because it puts that sense of intention back into the word. Yeah. Or the concept, rather, of the, the telos law. The telos of engagement is marriage. Right. And now that the marriage has come, it's not like everything you learned in engagement is thrown out the window. It's, right. it's expressed to a greater degree. It's heightened. It's heightened. You better have learned those lessons well because now, now more is being Till death do you, you part type of thing. Yeah, and that's cool. I mean, it lets you look at the law and go... This is what it was for. You get to kind of, through the eyes of, of history, because we're after this now, go, oh, the entire law was actually about the offspring of Abraham blessing the nations in the person of Jesus. Yeah. And so here's, here's where it becomes really practical. No, you do not have to avoid shrimp and bacon and tattoos and all of these other things, because those things have done their job. They've done their job. Mm-hmm. And so unless Jesus, in the new covenant that Christians are under, tells you, don't get tattoos... And again, this is where the nuance of biblical interpretation comes in because you in your life, this is the difference between the kind of mature version of don't get hit by a car and the little fence in yeah. front of your yard. There are probably really good reasons for you to not get a tattoo as somebody who has one, I'm saying. Yeah. Um, but it's not There's Leviticus 19. Better things to spend your money on. Better things to spend your money on. Maybe you're, like you should Like shrimp. Yeah, like shrimp, which you are totally allowed to eat. <laughs> yeah, like shrimp, like really good like sushi. Yeah, and you know, you might you might look in yourself and realize this is about pride. This is about me trying to like identify myself in some way outside of Christ. You know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. But it's wisdom to discern that under the new covenant. It's not because of Leviticus nineteen. That's right. It's wisdom under the new covenant, which is different than Levitical law, and that's a different way to look at it. As we joked around, I I have tattoos on both arms. You you do too. Um, and what's interesting is wherever there's like. Like you're like not sure. Well, does this still apply? Like ninety five percent of the time, the New Testament makes it crystal clear. Totally. And most of the time, it actually makes it strict, more strict. Yeah. And there are some that are still really confusing um, that we don't have time to to open the open the bag of worms on. But uh, worms don't come in a bag. Can of worms. Uh, so I don't you know if they came in cans either. That's true. Open a little styrofoam thing of worms. That's what I usually yeah. The little fishing when you go fishing, there's a little like a little plastic, plastic Tupperware thing. kind yeah. of thing. So, so here's the idea again is Christians take our marching orders from Jesus Christ. He is your, he's the king. And so what you're going to find is the moral laws. This is why, to your point, the tripartite law, there's a de facto way that this is certainly true, that Jesus takes the moral ethical implications of the old Testament law, reaffirms them under the new covenant for you. But if it's not taught in the new Testament, then it's not for you and you don't have to worry about it. So eat the bacon, eat the shrimp. I was going to say get the tattoo, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to tell you to get a tattoo on no, YouTube Live. No, and again, Live. use <laughs> you use wisdom given by the scriptures and the Spirit to discern how you ought to navigate this complex world. And the good news is, majority of the time, the Bible is crystal clear on what God demands. And in principle, when you try to do the first and second command, love God and love others, you are fulfilling everything the law was doing yeah. because it's, I mean, this is how you'd explain it to an elementary student. Are you going to still, do you still from, if you love someone, do you still from them? Right. It's like, no. 
And you could just go through the list of anything that might be ethical or moral and say, if you, if you, would you, if you love someone, would you do this? And that's going to be a guiding principle. Yeah. And for Paul as a first century Jewish man to say, see, we're so, we had 2000 years of Christian tradition to heighten the ethic of love. But for Paul, a first century Jewish teacher to be like, dude, it's all fulfilled in loving your neighbor. It's wild. Wild. The yeah. Imp- the, it's, it's huge. And it forever, it shapes history from that point forward. It changes yeah. the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, that's a good way to end right there. So next week, sorry for the misleading title on accident, but next week we'll get, we'll talk about slavery in the Bible. Does the Bible endorse slavery or not? And we'll talk about, is the Bible anti-women? We're, that's a spicy week next week. Slavery and misogyny I'm in off. one week. I'm off next week. Uh-oh. We'll talk about it. <laughs> Thanks, you guys, for being here. God bless. See you next Thursday.